Why did they make up Zattlebots game? That's a good question. I think they have made did a they make a Zattlebots game? Seems like there should have been a Zattlebots game. It <laughs> seems like it would have been a great robot game. This is a really interesting pod right here. Just no googling, yeah. googling stuff. Game Boy Advance. So there was a Battlebots game for Game Boy Advance. Hmm. Yeah. Hmm. Well, I'm still smart for thinking of it. <laughs> oh, I'm about to. <laughs> you still won Royals. Yeah. Fangamer, and this is our still technically new podcast. If you want to hang out with weirdos who work at a video game merchandising company, this is the podcast for you. I'm your host, Charlie, and I'm joined today by Tony and Noah. Say hello. Hello. Um, So I'm excited to have these two on the podcast in part because they're friends even outside of work, so they have a a good rapport. Yeah. Uh, but also because they're involved in two aspects of the company that I find uh, especially fascinating, licensing and design. So let's start with Noah. Noah, who are you and what do you what do you do for Fangamer? All right. Well, my name is Noah, as you've said, and uh, I am the director of licensing here. Um, what that means? Well, there's a well, thank lot. you for asking my follow up question. Oh, yeah, <laughs> and for yeah. answering my follow-up question before I got it. <laughs> no problem. I appreciate it, yeah. <laughs> uh, well, what does that mean? Um, I guess I have my hands in a lot of pots here. Um, essentially responsible for all of the licenses that we work with, a lot of the great games, uh, indie to AAA, brainstorming products, kind of seeing them through to development, making sure everyone who works on the game, all the developers, are happy with the products. What else? Just kind of being out there and seeing what great titles we can work on and see what everyone's excited about here. I guess I also do a lot of the vinyl here in terms of production. I've kind of worked on a lot of those. And I work a lot with Tony just in terms of planning out projects. Tony's a great designer here and he helps me out a ton. So I'll, I'll segue Good into Tony. Segue. Yeah. yeah, thank you. Yeah, it's Tony, same question. So I'm a designer, graphic designer. Like I mean, but you, I mean, you have you have opinions about like interior design for sure. I do. Yeah, a lot of the interiors stuff that we did at this current office, uh, I helped out with. Then I guess I'll help out a little bit with the new place. We'll see. I've sort of lost interest in it a little bit, or just gotten <laughs> busier with other stuff. But I do a lot of like merchandise, so all the stuff you'd see in the store, shirts and pins and keychains and all that kind of stuff. I also do a lot of book stuff, like book development with. Clyde and Legends localization stuff, and most recently with the speedrun book, speedrun science. Uh, so it's a lot of that. And then recently, the like we've had like a little bit of a of a shift in like how projects are are sort of handled and, and like delegated to people. So I've been taking on a little bit more directional role, I guess, with the like license representative tasks. So like planning out when we'll launch a chunk of products, when and what products will be in that launch, and sort of communicating that to Noah. Uh, that kind of stuff. Yeah, uh, one of our previous uh, guests, Alex, brought up the fact that whenever he first came in here, he was very surprised by how little structure we have here. Yeah, yeah. And, and uh, we're, we're, we're trying. We're trying to develop we more are. structure. It's kind of a process. I mean, most people wouldn't know that because of all the amazing things we put out there. But really, 
Yeah, we have a really good face. Yeah, really great face, but (laughs) everyone here just takes on so many different Mm -hmm. roles and are so talented at everything they do. Yeah, we're small. It's real, in a way, it's very mom and pop. Like, you're not really going to do just one thing ever. So, but I like that because it's boring otherwise. Um, I mean, there's people here who have worked in the mailroom for one, two years and are all of a sudden just making great products, like just taking on huge roles at the company. It's, It's always... Fun to see. There's a lot of opportunity for upward mobility. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Developing yourself and yeah. your skills. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which is cool. I imagine a lot of other companies are just as chaotic behind the scenes as us. Sure. It's a controlled chaos. It's a good chaos. Yeah, I mean, whenever I think whenever you lose that sort of chaos, you pro- you get more into a uh, into a rut, I think, or you oh. stagnate. You get bored. Yeah. That for sure. Like whenever everybody's only staying in their own lanes, there's less cross communication mm-hmm. and less uh, opportunity to just kind of just connect ideas. Mm-hmm. But of course, you know, as, as we've <laughs> definitely limits. experienced, there's good sides and bad sides. Yeah, we, I think in general we function better with chaos. Like we seem to be very comfortable. Like as fun as it, as unfun mm-hmm. as it can be. We, for whatever reason, seem to like doing it because it's just kind of the... I I think it's definitely got a a lot to do with, like, Reed and the way that we always were. And so he's Mm -hmm. very comfortable in that chaos. Mm -hmm. Yeah, a good example is just we can all be working on our desks on a project and then all of a sudden a gigantic truck rolls in with thousands of plush or Mm -hmm. apparel items and... Every all of us just run out there and help unload it. Yeah, like, it's great. <laughs> yeah, teamwork. Especially yeah. whenever it happens on really hot oh, sunny yeah. mornings. Well, yeah, the worst. One oh six out. This has happened a lot less, but it used to happen more. Since I got in very early, the gate would be open very early, and the the trucks are supposed to be scheduled for like ten am deliveries. But they'd see the gate was open, and they'd show mm-hmm. up at like seven thirty in the morning when no one's here. So I just would have to start. Luckily, I've, I've like put in stock, <laughs> and, every, there. and everyone would, would show up. Yeah, but. Usually be, for it's a while there, it was mostly me for like 10 minutes until everybody showed up. Yeah. It hasn't been that way in a long time. And yeah, well, Slack. We uh, post in Slack messages. and then everyone just comes screeching. Well, my thing is like, I'll, I'll start now, whatever. Just yeah. I, can yeah, yeah. I don't care. It's your exercise for the moment. Yeah. It's worse when it's hot. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so Noah, I know that a lot of your job involves answering emails, chatting on Skype and talking on the phone as you uh, yes. act as a mediator between Fangamer and our partners. Mm-hmm. Podcast persona aside, I'm uh, I'm personally a very quiet person who gets anxious when I have to talk to people a lot. <laughs> so that sounds exhausting to me. So what's what's the secret to networking? Both like building a network and maintaining it. Uh, I don't know. I think it's how I got to this position. I'm not the biggest, you know, extrovert or just out there person. Just friends with everyone. Like, yeah, you were I, a little nervous to come on the podcast. Were you? Don't. <laughs> But I like staying in my own bubble. I'm not like public. I don't even, I have a Twitter, but I have zero tweets to my name. Mm-hmm. Um, so what is it? I don't know. Just my philosophy and my approach to everything is just be yourself and be friendly. Life's too short. There's no reason to be a jerk for any reason. Things can go wrong. Things might go great, but just be friendly because why not? So yeah, I think that that's fascinating because you like like you said you're not like super out there extrovert person, and yet you are one of the people who like most communicates with people mm-hmm. outside of the company, which says that like it's not that it's not that it's a natural inclination; it's something that you have chosen and uh, worked at doing. Mm-hmm. 
I like to keep my, my conversations brief and leave on a good note, kind of the, the George Costanza method. I'll leave them. Go, take it, go out on a high note? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, all right, and that's my cue to, cue to exit. All right, well, podcast over. <laughs> <laughs> good night, everybody. Yeah. <laughs> So as far as like actually establishing like uh, relationships with licensors, what's that look like? Well, don't Without give away too many secrets. Yeah, don't sure, don't sure, tell read this. But I've got a I've got it pretty easy here just because of how well everybody kind of knows Fangamer and knows the quality products we put out and actually wants to work with us. So that's really really lucky and makes my job a lot easier. But just making sure everyone gets taken care of. I mean, not leaving anyone hanging too much in terms of signing new licenses. I mean, we really only want to sign things or just be a part of things that everyone here gets excited about. I mean, we've had plenty of things where, you know, there might be a really, really terrific game, but for some reason it's just not hitting with our staff. So I'd say we, we just, we're just really passionate about the titles that we do select and, and want to work on it. And I try to really show that to the developers because I think it means the world and it always shines through in the products that we create. Yeah, I would say as far as like actually getting out there and like talking to people, before you came around and like started talking to some of the bigger folks, like I was one of the primary like partner people just because I was not because I went out there and like got business, but because I was not shy about like just having conversations with people who mm. other people might think are like very important and like get really too excited about. Right. Uh, and that's not, that's not the way you want to interact with people. Like you don't want to fanboy at people. I think it's, yeah, it's okay to an extent. Sure. Yeah. I mean, you want to let them know that you appreciate their work. Mm-hmm. That's, that's good. Mm-hmm. But whenever it makes you like too nervous and like you're putting them onto a pedestal, like you can't just talk with somebody mm-hmm. that makes it very difficult to like establish any sort of a relationship. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I was okay at that. Like I, I, I made friends in uh, several different avenues out there, but my problem is usually like maintaining a relationship right. beyond that point. It just involves communication and mm-hmm. like keeping up with people. Yeah, definitely. So since you arrived at Fangamer, our vinyl soundtrack offerings have expanded uh, mm-hmm. several hundred percent, <laughs> <laughs> largely through your efforts. So what, pray tell, is the allure of this Clearly obsolete and inefficient medium. <laughs> it's one of those things where I, I know a lot of people here, they're not the biggest fans of packing them, but we still love making them, or at least I still love making them because I'm well, they're, they're a fragile a thing, so like oh, we definitely. have to be very careful whenever we pack. It's, it's very tricky, I know. Let's see, what's my attraction to it? I, I don't know. I, just, I, mean, I, I remember I helped you move into your house and you had like... <laughs> So yeah. <laughs> that was that was some rough like those crates specifically with the vinyl. Were those the, were heavy. The yeah. team lift situations. That's my attraction to it. I just think it's. I love game music in general. Um, I love physical, tangible items. I love that you're kind of creating a new piece of art because even for people who don't play the albums and still like to collect them, I mean, you're still getting an amazing package with a piece of artwork for the cover or gatefold or. Yeah, maybe it's something that was never, you know, something brand new created just for the record, or maybe it's something, you know, a really nice piece of key art. I mean, they just look nice on the shelf. Yeah, come down. Sure. Uh, but they're also if, fun to listen to. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's true. An iPod will it will be considerably smaller and mm-hmm. hold a lot more music, uh-huh. but that's not really the whole allure of the vinyl situation. It's yeah. been co- it's collector based. 
I would oh, say for a lot of people, mostly. Plus, there's like, I don't know, the art's nice and big. Like, what other mediums are worth, like, buying? Like, what other music, other ways of modalities of getting music are worth really buying? Like, who buys a CD? No one buys a CD That's anymore. not true. Some people do. I don't <laughs> know. And, and it's really interesting because in, in Japan, CDs are still hmm. the most popular form of music. Um, really over digital? Is it over digital now? I actually don't. I wouldn't know be surprised the if it was there. Yeah. To be honest, but, but I know with Fangamore Japan, I mean, we've sold quite a lot of CDs, and there's still cool. Tower Records and other music stores. We, we, we do sell CDs, like the Undertale soundtrack CD mm-hmm. as well, but yeah. especially in Japan, it does well here though. Too. Yeah. Plus, if we ever get like a big old solar flare and all of our electronics go away, oh, records yeah. still useful. True. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. yeah just yeah. analog that stuff. Uh, Tony, mm-hmm. you were one of Fangamer's first non-nepotism hires. <laughs> True. The very first such hire being uh, Audrey. But uh, So what were you doing before, and what prompted you to apply for a job here? Let's see. Before, I had worked for about a year at this firm in Spokane, Washington, which is where I went to school. And it was okay. It was like a good out-of-college first job. I learned a lot. My bo- It was very small. It was like five employees total. It wasn't like here where there was like a mailroom and like the overhead of owning just a thing that does design is probably so nice and low because you're not making <laughs> like you're not making or storing anything. Um, but no, my boss is really cool. I interned there initially and it just worked out well. It was like a very great like you know mentor to learn from. But it's not. It was like websites for like construction companies and steel fabricators, which is it's cool. But it wasn't really anything I was interested in in terms of like the subject matter. So I think I saw Fan Gamer was hiring when I was in college still for a design position. And I think I applied and they were like, there was like a, a small back and forth with Reed, but then ultimately this, this place I'd worked at before offered me a job and I was not ready to move. So I was like, I'm just going to stay where I am, take that job and like see how it goes. And then I think it, it was the job Audrey ended up taking. I guess probably a year later. I went to PAX, I was like bored at work. And then I went, we went to PAX West because me and Amanda used to go to PAX West as attendees, which I can't imagine ever doing again. Um, <laughs> Why is that? Because uh, I'm just, I'm, PAX is fun, but I don't ever want to pay to go to it again. <laughs> <laughs> well, how many have you been to now? I don't know. You've been to probably 10 at least. That's enough. I think I've been to 20. You've been to more. Yeah. yeah. Would you go, as, would you pay to go as an attendee? I probably would. I mean, I'm it's, I mean, it's tough to get the solid. tickets to begin with. That's true. But anyway, yeah. we were at PAX West. <laughs> And Fangamer had we did like an event. I think it was Fangamer X Attract Mode, maybe. I can't remember. Probably one of our art yeah. yeah. And I was there, and I was like, eh, I wonder if I wonder if Reed would remember who I was. And then I introduced myself. I said, Hi, I'm Tony. I don't remember me. I like applied for a job. I was like, Oh, I remember you. <laughs> and I was like, Cool. You know, Reed's very personal. And then I was like, Oh. And then I think either he or John was like, Are you no. still looking for a job? That was the end of the conversation. Yeah. Oh. And then I left. <laughs> And then no, they said, you're still looking for a job? And I was like, yeah, I think so. I don't like my job now, so sure. And then I think I just emailed them. Like like everything I do is very casual. Uh, I said, yeah, I'll email you. And I emailed them. They're like, yeah, let's do it. So then I worked remotely for four months. And then I visited here and just wanted to move here. So I did. Yeah. Like I wanted to work in the office because it was really cool when I visited. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I can definitely... I, I knew that he would definitely remember you. I mean, you weren't there, but uh, obviously. But I was on the hiring side, mm. and I remember like us just very carefully, like just weighing, like we we had it narrowed down to like three or four mm-hmm. designers, and and I think while I don't necessarily remember the the other you know one or two, I definitely remember it like 
you and Audrey were like mm-hmm. very, very close. And, you know, obviously we ended up going with Audrey in part because, like, we couldn't really make up our mind, but you helped us make up our mind yeah. by, like, saying, oh, I'm going to do this thing. And I'm so, glad I could help. <laughs> yeah. And then, of course, later on, you know, yeah, turns out you, yeah you, you came in, like, not too much longer after. Yeah, it was, uh, I came on in October of 14, I think. Yeah, you, you managed to just miss, like, the, the big uh, Yanub Kickstarter. I think my first, I, I think my first, day it was like coming around to ending maybe i don't remember exactly when yanib mm. ended but i think it was running when i first came on yeah which was cool because i don't have anything to do with it it was just cool to be yeah, like, hey, yeah. There it is. you were yeah. you weren't you weren't in the video so no was just, i was like hey that's cool i work for this company this cool kickstarter that's rad so tony you've been here for a while now and you have a fair number of cool projects under your belt sure uh what project are you most proud of like what's the one that you want people to know that you did well they kind of go in categories because some of them like from a lot of effort to like not like still effort but like a shirt design is like much quicker than like a book or something so my favorite shirt that i've designed is the wind jammers jamming shirt mm. that's a cool shirt my favorite book is tough because i really like all of them um, I mean, you invest a lot of yourself yeah, into a book it's usually like a year to t- to two years at times I think the one, the book project I'm the most proud of is the Legends Localization Earthbound one because it's so friggin' big. Yeah, that's a, that's a lot of work. <laughs> it's 432. Even more so than... <laughs> yeah, it's huge. Um, a lot went into it. And then very, very close second is the Speedrun Science book, which was a really, really cool project to work on. I guess, and then beyond that, there's like collector's editions. I like the Slime Rancher collector's edition a lot that came out really cute. I also, I don't know, minted stuff. I guess that's kind of it, those, those three to four. Noah, similar question. What's your proudest accomplishment since you've been with us here at Fangamer? Ooh. I'd say being able to just evolve all the licenses here and just keep on upping the ante a bit. One of the hardest things I have to do, I would say, and I have to I think about it every day, is just maintaining that that balance of indie games and AAA games now. Because as we take on some bigger projects, I want to make sure we don't lose any of that indie identity that really got us to where we are. I'd say just being able to maintain that balance, be able, being able to bring on new people and just have a great time working with us. As far as like projects too, I mean, Hollow Knight has been one of my favorite things and also just one of my favorite games ever. And uh, also just evolving the, the vinyl stuff mm-hmm. here. Yeah, Hollow Knight in particular is like a such a huge success story. I don't think it'll ever really stop. I mean, that that game, it's just, I remember when it first came out and just seeing the numbers slowly go up for just the Steam reviews and the sales and also our products and then just more and more. And then everything, I think, just really exploded when they did that. It was a shadow drop, I think, for, for Switch where uh, E3 2018, they announced it in the Nintendo Direct and then it was just there. Because oh. uh, fans had been asking it for it for Switch forever, and then it happened, and I feel like that's what really just made everything explode. That's a cool way to do stuff. Just be like, hey, nothing you really want. There it is! Like, I get, like, building <laughs> hype, or, like, what it's important, but it's cool when, I, when yeah. someone can just be like, oh, yeah, this thing's out. Go Like, I know you wanted it. Here it is. You don't have to wait for it. I mean, I remember <laughs> being on the E3 show floor that year and seeing the trailer play in the Nintendo booth just gigantic and thinking that was the coolest thing. And, was and I was so happy for those guys. Was that a Kickstarter? Was Hollow Knight a Kickstarter? It was. Yeah. yeah. Wow. It's amazing how many, like, 
I don't think that Kickstarter is a super viable way to make games, like not the big games anyway. Like no. I think a lot of people like have tried to use Kickstarter as like a triple A promotional situation, mm-hmm. but like it's been huge for like a lot of the folks that we work with, like Shovel Knight. Uh-huh. It was helpful for for Undertale, helped with Hollow Knight. I think the only one of our like really huge indies that it wasn't like a super involved with was Stardew Valley. Yeah. yeah. Start as well as it's just um, continues to mm-hmm. be such a huge thing for us. I mean, and as a game, I just, I'm looking forward to the, the update coming up. Yeah, yeah. I think uh, Tony goes home and plays it every single day. I did for a while. <laughs> I I haven't. I I took a break recently. <laughs> I, I I got it on mobile recently, and it's been mm. so. That's that's like What's usually that? in morning meetings. I'm over there. Oh, yeah, that's what you're doing. <laughs> yeah. I know yeah. Amanda played it on iPad, maybe. Do you like it on mobile? It, yeah, I, I wasn't sure I was going to. I wasn't sure how the controls were going to uh, transfer over, but it actually does very well. Did you like, play it on PC or something? Yeah, yeah. So I, I played it a lot on PC, but uh, this is this is helpful so that I'm, I can do it anywhere. Uh, I'm scared to get it because it'll just... I'll get it'll consume it, you. and it'll drain my yeah. battery. Yeah, <laughs> I'll be in an emergency situation, and I won't be able to make a call because I've played too much Star. Yeah. I, I don't mean, know. It's great. Just get on the Switch. It's good on the Switch. Switch. Oh, you did have you? Well, you yeah. know, how much of it have you played? Not to put you on blast. Well, quite a bit <laughs> of my current playthrough because I did an f- initial farm for like a year, and then I was like, I'm gonna start over. So my current one, I'm in like year three, almost year four, I think. Mm-hmm. I play it in a weird way, though. Like, I don't want to marry anybody. I just wanted to get the community center, and I got that. I was like, I wanted to get through all the mines. I did that. And now I kind of know what to do. I don't know. Yeah, it's kind of why I stuck. Yeah, it's like, I don't know what to do now. Yeah, I, I, like my second playthrough, I got to the point where I was, like, I think I somehow managed to finish the community center in the first year. Like, I was a focus of mine, and I got really lucky with, like, the, the traveling merchant had had a couple things that I needed. At some point for with that playthrough, I was just like, all right, well, what do I have left? I got to, I got I want to cook everything, get that achievement, mm-hmm. which I couldn't do because I hadn't finished the second year, and you keep getting stuff, like, new recipes for that whole yeah, two years. you got to watch the TV. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we'll say, and, and get, but the hardest thing is getting all the artifacts, because they're just, like... There's a lot of them. There's a lot of them. I don't and, think we're close to them. A lot of them are just like hidden under. You have to use the hoe and dig them up yeah. in the mines, and it's not like whenever you're on the overworld and they have like the little fingers yeah. like telling you yeah. there's something here. Like they don't have that, so you just have to like anytime there's sand, you just have to like Phew. get lucky. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, I think at some point I was just like, all right, that's enough. <laughs> it's a deep game. I'm. It's like I'm not gonna get all the trophy fish or the legendary fish. I'm not gonna do that. Uh, the fishing's okay. It got better once you get, like, it was so hard at first, I found. I know, like, it's a common completed for most people, but once you get the, like, next level rod, like, the one after the starting one, it got better. It's actually, it actually gets a lot better just by fishing more, because, like, your little, your little thing, your little bar gets bigger as you level up. But I get so frustrated initially, I don't want (laughs) want to fish. Yeah, all you can catch is, like, uh, carp and stuff. Yeah. So, um... Uh, no, what's what's your dream project? What's something that you would like to work towards in your time here? Wow, the dream project. I'd say, how much can I say? Um, I don't know. Why, why are you looking at? I don't. Know. Yeah, I'm, for for anyone on the podcast, I'm I'm Mr. NDA here, so I'm the one who yells at everybody not to spoil any 
any secrets about sure, it? Sure, sure. I would say probably not something that you're actually currently working on. Like, you obviously, you can't talk about <laughs> projects that are currently in development or anything. Sure. So more like more like a pie-in-the-sky situation mm-hmm. that, that's feasible, but we don't have any... Uh, any like, I'd say really just making anything licensed Nintendo is always the dream and just mm-hmm. the goal for the company. Um, there's a lot of projects here. I mean, I think there's a couple in particular where... A lot of people a few years ago never would have really expected these things to happen and slowly working on them in the background. Um, and they're really exciting, but uh, can't say much more. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> uh, what about you, Tony? What's your dream project? Uh, I got lucky. I don't know if I got lucky. Uh, no, I, I bugged Noah till they happened, which were a few dream projects <laughs> that have come to fruition, which is Sunset Riders and Snowboard Kids. It's very uh-huh. like, Two childhood favorites of mine that I'm very glad we got to do stuff for so you're done. You can just die yeah. now. Uh, let's see. Is there anything more? <laughs> oh, Ken Griffey Jr. presents Major League Baseball. That was my dream license again. I wish. Which is a, a I believe it's it's a first party Nintendo baseball game for Super Nintendo, before Winning Run and Slugfest, which I believe were rare. I think. No. Rare. Were they? Like, rare made one of them. I think. Did they port one or did they actually make it? I don't remember. Don't remember. Can't, can't I don't, think Slugfest I don't like was. them as much, so I don't care. Slugfest was the one I wasted an entire summer on. Slugfest is all right, but see, Slugfest is when they went to like more realistic graphics. Ken Griffey, it's a mouthful. Ken Griffey Jr. presents Major League Baseball is great because it's still very cartoony. It's like it's the best baseball game ever made. It's very arcadey, very cartoony. Like you don't have to know really anything about baseball to play. Just like generally how baseball works. So they could put Ken Griffey Jr. in the game, and they could put the MLB teams in the game, but they didn't get the players' licenses. So all the player names are made up, mm. but it's the same stats as the real players as there would they would have been in 95, 96. But they all all the teams have themes. Like one of them is named after presidents. One of them is like named after developers. One of them is named after like rock stars. So you have like Ozzy and stuff like that. It's just really. But they had the same stats as players. They did like, or they were like modeled after the stats of real players. So mm. like, the pitcher on the Mariners that you start off with, I forget his name. His name's like Tingdale or something like that. He's technically. Randy Johnson, like uh, stats wise, no, I like believe there's Randy Johnson. No, no, it's not that cheesy. I wish it was. <laughs> and uh, I believe there's probably a fan community of somewhere that's probably broken down what player is what. Because you could rename the player, so I guess you could. Yeah. You could, if you want to do all of the effort of like all those teams, but that game, I love that game. Well, do you want to talk about your collection, Tony? I'm slowly collect. I have 30 copies of it on Super Nintendo. Oh, that's just that one game. Yeah. Wow, it's Every, not valuable. No, or it's not. I I refuse. I mean, that's, to, that's easy. It's a lot easier to collect yeah, something. That's if my it's not. Thing. I was like, <laughs> I want to collect something that I really like, which is this game, and it's not going to cost me a lot of money. I refuse to pay over five dollars for a cartridge ever. I don't pay more. I paid I've maybe. Pay I paid 10. like eight, maybe. Okay. I would never go over ten. That's insulting. <laughs> I don't. I don't buy them. I could buy them all on eBay and it'd be cheap. But my thing is, I only buy them when I see them in person. So every now and then, Bookman's, which is a used media store here. They'll have like a handful and I'll just buy them all at once. And the guys will be like, why are you buying like five copies of this baseball game? I'm like, I just like They're it. They're like, we messed up. This game's worth a fortune. Yeah. Or when I go, I, PAXes are the best because PAX has like the retro vendors. Mm-hmm. And I'll usually get two to three per PAX. And I've only been doing it, collecting them for like a couple years now. I'm hoping at West there'll be like Pink Gorilla or somebody will have another copy. Yeah, we should go there. Well, going to West... Wait, are they in Portland? No, Pink Gorilla is in Seattle. Oh, they are in Seattle, yeah. But they do a booth at West. Oh. And getting it there is the easiest because it's based off a famous Mariners player, so there's like tons of copies everywhere. Mm. 
So, so Ken Griffey is a Mariners guy. Yeah, Ken Griffey was oh, a, yeah. a very popular Mariners player in 95. He turned to a Reds probably, player. Probably, for a while, probably their most popular player. Maybe Ichiro's bigger at this point. I don't know. Yeah, Name recognition has got to be. Yeah, I don't know. Because I, 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 I was like, who, who is this Ken Do you know Griffey? who Ichiro is? No. I don't know anything about baseball. Don't forget about Alex Rodriguez. But, but now I'm just like not suddenly like realizing, okay, and I get, I get now why Ken Griffey is like the guy for this. He, he was huge in 95. He's he, oh, well, yeah. he, he big, but also like up there near Nintendo, right? Yes. So like, yeah, they would attach to that. that well, Nintendo they was a majority, yeah, yeah, Nintendo was a majority owner of the Mariners at that point. There you go. Yeah, yeah you for, could, for many years. You could order your food in the stands from your, from your, is it your DS? DS? Your 3DS. No, your DS. You could do DS. DS, yeah. It had like the, you know, DS had like a PictoChat feature where like you could link to other DSs. Sure, yeah. If you brought your DS to Safeco Field, the Mariners Stadium, you could open it and it would connect to some service there and you would get like a pitch track, like a digital scorecard basically, and you could order food. Wow. To yeah, it was really cool. <laughs> Nintendo, yeah. It was, people forget that they had a majority stake in the team for, gosh, probably 15 years. Like a very long, they yeah. only recently gave it up. They only recently sold it. There was even a really limited, um, I forget if it was a DS or like an SP, but a Mariners version. Mm-hmm. Super rare. I see it on Reddit. Once in a while. I actually have this cool pin that uh, Adil gave me, and it's Mario, like, in the pose of the, like, Mario 3 cover where he's, like, kind of, like, you know, flying a little bit. Sure. But he's wearing a Mariner's uniform. It must have been some sort of official promotional thing, you know. <laughs> but, yeah, so that game. That's my dream project. <laughs> Tony, I'll do what I can, but I don't know if I'm going to get the I don't think it's going to have association. Well, I just, you just need the Mariner's. Just the Mariners. And just Ken Griffey Jr. Oh, just Griffey, okay. I don't need the other teams. <laughs> any of the other players. Yeah. Just that one guy. Ken Griffey seems chill. I bet he's down. Yeah, but he also, he retired. I mean, he had a video a game made out of him. He had so several like, video games made out of him. Because the, yeah. the Nintendo supported Mariners games for, into the 64, where mm-hmm. there was, I think, two. Super Nintendo had two. There was Slugfest, and what was the second on 64? I don't remember. Or was it just one? Well... First, SNES was winning run was the second. It might have just been Slug. Oh, they made Slugfest for th- Game Boy Color. Yeah, and then I Slugfest would have just been the '64 one. Yeah, I don't like them as much, so I don't know as much about. I them. like the Game Boy Color one. It had a clear cartridge, and I wouldn't say it's a good game, but I played it <laughs> so much. I also played that robot baseball game a lot for Genesis. Oh yeah, yeah I was so wanted to play that. I never had Genesis. It's so weird. It looked cool, it. like baseball twenty. 2020 or 2021 like some yeah. some date that's like fast approaching yeah and there's yeah no, we're nowhere near having robots play baseball <laughs> yeah i don't know actually i have actually no they have they don't have robots playing baseball i think they have robots playing soccer though there's like a there's like a robot soccer league but it's probably slow they're, they're not great yeah <laughs> but they're, they're getting better is the thing so um last week one of our listeners met a tony no relation to our current guest tony maybe uh, i don't know uh, so they, they asked a really good question, and I like to keep asking it of guests since I think it, it'll provide a lot of varied, interesting answers. They asked, how do you stay motivated? Like, we work pretty hard here at Fangamer, and we get tired and burnt out sometimes, but we keep picking ourselves up and getting back to work. So how do you manage that? Tony, you go first. Okay. Well, I think, uh, this is going to be an odd answer a little bit, uh, being more busy sometimes is motivating because if you are really not motivated in a current project or task you're doing, for me at least, there's like 10 other things I could be doing. So if I'm like, I still feel like working on this thing or I can't I've hit a wall with this thing, there's something else I could move on to work on. So that's like, you know, in the moment at work thing I can do. In terms of like 
at-home stuff, trying too hard not to, like, think about, well, at least the anxious parts about work at home, which is, you know, easier said than done. And, I don't know, I make a lot of art at home, so that's, that's like, distracting. Hmm. Being creative uh, in a way that's not related to work is, is helpful for me. That's also, like, the, the, the difficult thing sometimes, because you feel yeah. like sometimes you're, you've expended so much of mm-hmm. your creativity at work that's, like, you got to shift gears and be like, all right, I'm doing this for me, and I'm going to enjoy mm-hmm. this. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That can be a lot of pressure sometimes, too, on a creative endeavor not related to work, and that, like, this has to be enjoyable! <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, which doesn't always work out. But I think it's important, especially when your job is a, a creative job, like a designer or you know a writer or something, to con- continue to do that task outside of work, but not with things related to work. It's just going to keep you like sharper and keep your skills better. But it's hopefully not as there's not as much pressure or anxiety. It's just going to be fun. I remember like I'd hang out with John Magrum. Uh, a mm-hmm. bit one of our uh, company friends john john megram and like whenever he goes out somewhere like he, he's a he's an illustrator he's a storyboard artist uh, he uh so whenever he's out and about like he's always got a sketch pad he's just constantly like just drawing the people around him just like seeing like interesting poses that people are doing and just boop, 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 boop. and it's constant so that he's constant like mm-hmm. so like, whenever he does need to whip out that skill like it's not rusty at all mm-hmm. he can just boom just mm-hmm. crank out whatever doodle he needs to do i actually follow him on instagram and he posts a lot of those he might he probably does a twitter but i don't do twitter but he posts a lot of those like doodles on instagram they're always really interesting to look at yeah they're, like they're very clearly john magram style which i love yeah <laughs> and it's, it's just like interesting people he must have seen and i think about the context of like where was he that he saw this person yeah, it's funny. uh what about you Noah? how do you stay motivated uh for work i'd say there's a couple things. One, we, we have a Slack channel that just kind of lets us see every bit of social media for that people say about us. And seeing the posts about how much some of these products mean to people and, and games kind of helps, I guess, level me and just make me really remember how important this is. And, you know, sometimes there might be a title we're working on that where I'm not the biggest fan, but, or it's just not the genre that I'm into, but seeing people react to it in a way that's on an emotional level really means a ton. I mean, I remember I help out at PAX just selling merchandise at the booth and hearing some stories from people. I remember there was one person who was a huge Stardew Valley fan and was literally tearing up and crying because we had a t-shirt for the game because they were telling us the story about how you know their house had burned down and all they really had was Stardew at the time to help them out, you know, cope with it and everything. And that just really was just a very memorable moment for me. So I'd say doing everything for the fans, remembering what it means to people is huge. Um, and also on a more selfish level, probably competitiveness and uh, <laughs> seeing all the cool things people do and say, hey, I want to make something cool too. And We could do that. Yeah, we could do that. We could do that better. Um <laughs> Just wanting to do better, I think, is always key. Yeah, it kind of makes me think back and kind of appreciate, like, because I remember whenever I was growing up, uh, you know, I was big into video games, like most of us were, and uh, the availability of just, like, cool things related to video games Mm. was pretty barren. Like, like, if it wasn't literally Mario or Zelda, Mm -hmm. uh, or maybe Sonic, like, it there wasn't anything for it. There was mm-hmm. no way to show your show your appreciation for that that game or those characters or anything. And so just 
the fact that we have uh, that we make stuff and we have been making stuff for like these especially whenever we first started like underserved markets mm-hmm. uh, makes such a huge difference uh, for people that I would have appreciated our existence when I was a kid. Oh, same. I would I would have been so stoked to have Fangamer and be able to buy the things because I was the same way. I would go to websites and for games I loved or just companies I loved and try, try to find any kind of merchandise and there was nothing. Mm-hmm. Or there was and I just couldn't afford it because mm-hmm. I was a kid. So, yeah, I would definitely be on Fangamer all the time. Well, I am anyway, I, but as a kid. I do love hearing, and this has happened a lot with the two titles I liked a lot that we... I was very happy that we were for Sunset Riders and Snowboard Kids. It happens at PAX, too. Like, someone would be like, there's a shirt for Snowboard Kids? Yeah. <laughs> or there's, like, there's merchandise for Sunset Riders? Like, I like hearing that, which is, like, selecting games that I think people have remember a lot from their childhood, but, like, mm-hmm. could not fathom there being merchandise for, and then we're like... Like, somebody else was a fan of this? Oh, yeah. my gosh. It's just like, oh, yeah. it's... It's 2019, and they're making a Snowboard Kids line Snowboard of products. Snowboard Kids, Dino Crisis. Yeah. Like, as soon as we put out a Dino Crisis shirt, all the comments in social media were like, new Dino Crisis game, we need it, come on. <laughs> that, that would be, I think, amazing to me if, like, we made merchandise for a really old game that, that does really well, and it reminds the developers that, Mm. There's a market for this. And then, like, a game ends up getting made be because great. we made merchandise for it. That mm-hmm. would be wild. Yeah. That hasn't happened yet as far as yeah. I know, but that would be wild. Uh, who knows? You never know. Yeah, I hope so. So, finally, this is a this is a gaming company, in a sense. Uh, so, I have to ask, Noah, what have you been playing lately? Ooh. I haven't played anything the past week, but before that, I just started Slay the Spire. That's mm. what I was going to talk about. You're going to talk about it? Yeah, because it's the game I've been playing. What do I need to know about this game? I haven't played a ton, um, but I did really like what I played so far. I'll let Tony talk more about it. Before that, oh, I did watch Erica play Pikuniku, which was really fun. Oh, I loved Pikuniku, too. And we did the co-op, Taylor. That was nice. But yeah, you talk about Slay Spy. I played it. I was on vacation last week for about a week. I did a lot of... I went up to see my buddy in Spokane. He, he didn't take work off, so I had a lot of, like, downtime during the day. Played a lot of that. It's like a... It's a roguelike card game, which are two things that I think if anyone knew me would think, why would Tony want to play that? <laughs> it just doesn't sound like... But um, it works really, really well. So you have, like, an overall map kind of thing, and it's... The map is different each time, and you're sort of progressing up a spire, you know, to the top. You do it three times, and there's three boss battles or whatever. You need to, like, pick your route. There's, like, different paths you can take, and... On the paths, there's, like, icons that represent, like, events or battles or merchants or whatever. So you kind of, like, plan, like, all right, I want to get to, like, I want to go to two mini-bosses because at the end of a mini-boss fight, I'm going to get, like, some perks. And I want those perks. The combat's quick. The Like, the deck-building part is not overly cumbersome like a lot of hard video games I've tried. There's, like, not... There's a good variety of cards and, like, moves you can do, but it's not, like, too many where it's, like, overwhelming to, to plan. And you get a different, obviously your deck is different each time, so your play style is totally different each time. And every time you defeat like a mini boss or a boss or like a random event, you'll get uh, these like relics, which can drastically impact your play style. Um, so it's just, I don't know, I can't, that's, it's just good and fun. I don't know what else you would need. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's like, even though like the, the concept of a roguelike card game I mean, it kind of reminds me of how people would describe, like, Papers, Please, 
how it's like mm-hmm. a it's a game where you you do paperwork mm-hmm. you know <laughs> like you're just checking people in through a uh through a check-in station and like what's what's fun about that well if you if they make it really good then yeah it's gonna be yeah. fun like they find a way to make it fun and papers please has like the you know there's 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 story to be unearthed in that and there's mm-hmm. drama and stuff this i think i'm sure slay aspire has a story i'm not really i don't really know what it is um i don't know much about the lore but it's just really fun to play and the the session like the gameplay session can be not too long which for this point in my life is like perfect <laughs> like i don't i, I just can't pl- i have trouble playing games that are like over 10 hours a lot now sure so and this could go on forever i guess because it's a roguelike game I feel like the last long game you played was god of war no it was red dead oh was Cause, that because after no, no that was before god but with god of war with most uh, big triple a's i'll get to 60 hours and stop like mm. just like an internal clock ticks and i'm like i think i'm at 60 hours even if i don't <laughs> beat it sometimes i'll just be like i think i've had enough I did the same thing with The Witcher 3, which I loved The Witcher 3, but I got to about 60 hours, and I was like, yeah, I'm good. Like, it's great, but I've got it, and God of War was the same way. (laughs) Red Dead, I played through the entirety and played a lot more of it than I should have. Certain games get their hooks in me, like Stardew's that way. Like, Stardew I've played, like, over 100 hours of. With Red Dead, every day you'd be, you'd talk to me in the morning, you'd be like, yeah, I think I'm at the end. And then, yeah, then there'd be like eight going. more hours. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Which can be exhausting certain with certain games. But sometimes you just you can you just see the end. Yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. I like Cowboys, so it was the perfect storm for me to finish that game. Well, thanks so much for answering my questions, guys. Uh let's move on to fan gamer news. Uh, so we've been busy catching up on orders this past month or so, uh, maybe longer. Um, in part because we've just been launching like new products like crazy. The good news is uh, I think we're basically caught up on orders now, or at least we should be by the end of the week. So hopefully we can finally take that delay notice off the top of the store page. I was just going to ask if that was still up. I think it is, yeah. <laughs> Any big fan gamer news you guys would like to announce? I can say we're working on a lot of cool stuff that's secret. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. That will come out for the holidays <gasps> next year. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> That's lot, about it. A <laughs> lot of big stuff in the pipeline. I could talk about stuff that we recently launched that I was excited yeah. about. I was very excited to launch the Hypnospace stuff. Oh, yeah. yeah. I loved Hypnospace. That's my game of the year, Hypnospace. Yeah, because I, I, so, yeah, I think I mentioned that in the last podcast or so. I hadn't played it. I just, like, watched videos and, yeah. like, based on, like, descriptions, trying to describe what it is. What What is it, though, like, as someone who's actually played? Hypnospace is a game set in 1999, and you work for this company, Merchantsoft, who has what is an, an online service provider thing, but it's an internet that you access when you're asleep. So you put a physical headband on your head, not in real life, but in the world of the game. You put a headband on your head, and you enter Hypnospace, which is a sleeping internet thing, but it looks like GeoCity sites from 1999. Mm-hmm. So it's very reminiscent of like 1999 GeoCities Internet where like you made a page because you were a person and you wanted to make a page and you said like, this is what I'm into. Sure, yeah. Pre-MySpace. Yeah, yeah. Pre-social media kind of stuff. But you're tasked with being a like regulator of what would be like, you know, internet crimes for this company. So you find copyright infringements or like people harassing people or extra legal activity like, you know, drugs or whatever. Actually, there's not really much drugs in it, but... Or people using, like, there's a thing called Kappa Cash, which is like a, like a PayPal-ish service that they don't want you using. They want you using their service. So you find these infringements and you report them to the company that you work for. 
and then you the game is focused on you going through people's pages or fan pages and sort of like learning about the people behind the pages and like figuring out connections between people and from there you learn certain things about this company you work for that are not so great and a pretty pretty deep story unfolds that takes place over a couple years and then eventually beyond it's just super well written the music the music is super freaking good too there is so much music in it there's so good there's a lot of music because there's there's like basically different boards and there's like a board for teenagers and a board for what would be like boomers and then there's a board for like music lovers and there's a lot of like fake musical genres that exist in this game so there's a lot of music created for those genres Mm. it's really unique and there's like entire albums worth of fake bands (laughs) that are on the soundtrack yeah chatterman or like my favorite is his band glamocaster who's like this fuzzy garage rock electronic-y thing and like you just happen to find their music through a search like it's not even you're not even driven towards it (laughs) so i don't know just really deep good music good writing that's amazing yeah get it super funny too super funny cool well let's see as far as what i got written here let's uh, we had a pretty huge launch last week, which I was pretty excited about. We launched the uh, a wave of Silent Hill merchandise, uh-huh. especially for Silent Hill 2 related, but not entirely. Uh, we've got two shirts, both of which are kind of spoilerific in case you haven't played this nearly 20-year-old game. There's Conflicted Form, which depicts the final boss of the game. And then there's uh, Mira's Plan, which depicts one of the game's secret joke endings. Uh, we also have vinyl soundtracks for the first and second Silent Hill. Those are courtesy of Mondo, so thank you, Mondo. Uh, as well as a uh, lapel pin featuring the door from Silent Hill 4. Focusing on Silent Hill 2 seemed to me like the right way to go. Like, I've watched a friend play the first one, and it's pretty good. Uh, but I've actually personally played through the second one for our old uh, Game Club pro- podcast that we used to do. And while I'm not big on horror games because I am uh, a weenie. Uh, <laughs> yeah, me too. Yeah. Yeah, I, I did, however, come away from Silent Hill 2 very impressed. Mm-hmm. Well, I guess we can we can tell listeners, uh, hey, we might have more Silent Hill merch mm-hmm. coming at some point, mm-hmm. so stay tuned. Yeah. Yeah, that pin's weird. I, I made the pin, the door one. I don't know anything about Silent Hill. Erica, who's the like um, licensed lead on it, was like, we need this pin that's like a door with chains. <laughs> I was like, okay. It actually turned out pretty cool. It, sold it turned well out too. cool. It sold. I mean, we sold out of the first one. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, we're definitely, we're reprinting it now. Yeah, it's neat. It's got chains on it. I saw tons of comments. People who are just like, that pain, dude. <laughs> on, on Twitter. So I'm not 100% sure if these next things are actually launching before the podcast goes up. But I'll record my announcement of I'll, them I'll anyway. <laughs> We're launching a vinyl soundtrack for Valhalla, the cyberpunk bartender action game. So I think that is actually being pushed a week, but those are courtesy of Black Screen. So thank you, uh, Kevin at Black Screen. Uh, we will be selling those to go alongside all the other fun Valhalla merch that we have. So, so I can keep that in the podcast. You can keep that in. All it's right. already a product that's announced. Just uh, now we're going to be carrying some of them. Oh, perfect. There's some sales coming up. Yeah, oh, we yeah? have some sales. Yeah, um, we should say the, the sales. The, well, the sale, the slime, the slime rancher collector's edition is going on sale for one week for the two-year anniversary of the game. For twenty-five percent off from August first to the seventh. I think that's correct. Yeah, so twenty-five percent off slime rancher collector's edition, and then I guess that's it for this week. Actually, the other sales 
later. The SteamWorld sale? SteamWorld, yeah. That one we're that's just doing week, for there to celebrate the sixth anniversary of the game. So we're doing another discounted yeah, sale. That's next week. Uh, so I think that's all the news I have for Fangamer. Let's move on to Tucson news. Oh, it's hot. It is hot. <laughs> it is terrible outside. Yeah. Uh, Fangamer is located in beautiful Tucson, Arizona, though most of uh, Fangamer's employees are not from this city or even from the state originally. However, while many of us are content to remain insulated on our little social circles, Tony, you've actually gone out and gotten involved in the local art scene a bit. Is that right? True. Yeah, true. I actually have an art show. I'm taking it down Wednesday, but it was up for a month. That's some collage art I do. Yeah. Cool. I have a friend who owns a, a store and a print shop, Tiny Town Gallery and Surplus on 4th, and he's uh, he owns Tanline Printing. So I sell a lot of art at his store, and then I also sell, like, desert tucson related designs on the side for fun so like when i talk about doing work or doing like creative things outside of work that aren't work related that's kind of those two things is what i'm talking about so what's something you've learned about tucson that maybe like other non-native fangamer employees or just people from outside of town generally might not know about it there's a monsoon season (laughs) that was like the very first that was surprising to me and then it's not flat that there's mountains everywhere it's, it's, it's very, like, even inside the city, it's very hilly, yeah. uh, which you'll definitely learn if you ever try to bike anywhere. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so technically, what are the what are the months that are considered monsoon season? July, I know July. July, August. August as well? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, our, our monsoon season this year, year has been uh, late, abysmal. Right? Yeah. Like, it was like one, maybe? One? Yeah, like I, yeah, we had like maybe one and a half rain. It's supposed to rain tomorrow. Yeah, because yeah, me and Charlie live in like the same area of town, more or less. I can't remember. There's maybe been one big rain. Yeah, that that's the only one of. I can remember. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I mean, but it's, it's been overcast for a while. It's overcast yeah, now. Pretty that's much. okay. Does that make it cooler or hotter? I never know. I think it makes it a little bit cooler. Sorry. Right. Yeah. So, Noah, have you made any effort to connect with the city? Like, what have you done? Yeah, Noah. What have I done? I mean, Erica and I go out, try different food all the time. We'll go on random drives now and then. One of our favorite things to do just on weekends or whenever is just random thrifting or going to the big antique malls. Tucson has... Yeah, Tucson has a good thrift, tons, thrift uh, yeah. scene. Oh, yeah. Tons of antique malls everywhere and just love finding new unusual things for good prices. I mean, also estate sales. There's tons of estate sales everywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, now is kind of the worst time to go out and do that because it's, <laughs> it's 105, <hot>. 110 <laughs> every day, but for the rest of the year, they're they're great. Dude, we gotta go to the swap meet. Yes, yeah, love the swap, that swap meet. meet. The Tonka Verde swap meet. Yeah, the Tahona Odom swap meet's also really cool. It's a lot crunchier, mm. but it's cool. We're going to Mount Lemon this weekend uh-huh. for Noah's birthday. Yeah, happy birthday, Fangamer News. Yeah, <laughs> Noah's birthday <laughs> on you. Friday. Thank you. You're just like gonna uh, spend some time in a cabin. Yeah, that's yep. nice. Two nights. Uh, so this is the time of year to do that for mm-hmm. sure. Yeah, because yeah, it's going to be like 25 degrees cooler. Mm-hmm. And it's really cool going there in the winter when down down here it's normal weather. Maybe it's like 80 degrees and then you go up there and it's just snow. What's your wonderland up there? Yeah. yeah, we went sledding. What was that December maybe? Yeah, that's another answer to your question of what people wouldn't expect is like you can go yeah. sledding, kind of skiing in Tucson yeah, the, the, if I think you want. this is our, our, the... The, the southernmost ski resort in the continental U.S. is uh, just north of Tucson. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's all I have for Tucson news today. Let's move on to audience participation.
Um, I did not receive any new questions since last week, but I do still have some questions in the backlog from uh, from our audience that we can work through. So let's get started. From Paul Bulgard, a.k.a. Fishsticks, via email. Hey, podcast crew. I am loving the podcast so far. Keep up the good work. Thank you, Paul. Uh, what was your biggest surprise that you all learned about the tasks involved at running a booth at conventions like PAX? Basically, what weird thing do you have to do that the average convention attendee wouldn't realize that you have to do? Hmm. I've done so many of these now. Yeah. It's like second nature. Yeah, yeah, the only convention I've attended in the past few years has been MAGFest. So like, mm. And that's a pretty different experience than PAX. Yeah. So uh, you guys have both, both been to more recent PAXs. So. Okay. I think I got a couple things. Sure. One is just how getting your merchandise or your items there works in terms of freight shipment and warehousing and things like that. Yeah, um, it used to be that whenever we went to PAXs, especially early on, like we would ship a bunch of stuff to like a local UPS store mm-hmm. and then rent, uh, like we'd fly out there to wherever it is, mm-hmm. rent a vehicle, go down to the UPS store, load it all up into the rental vehicle, then drive to the convention center and now work our way into the the convention floor and then drop it all off, which yeah. was a lot of work. So I don't awesome. think they like that either. They don't like you carrying the boxes. Yeah, they really no, don't. No, they don't. It's all union jobs they want. Yeah, we typically have our stuff packed up like a month in advance, or at least. I mean, we start planning packs like three months in advance or more. We should. We don't always. Yeah, I mean, just in terms of everything that goes into our particular build. I mean, it's different for everybody. It's different for an indie game that has a. 10 by 10 and a monitor versus us where we have, I don't know, 10 people in the booth doing sales and... And, like, who knows how many in individual pieces, pieces of merchandise that have to sit in that 20 by 30 space, you know? It's like, yeah, it's cramped. Yeah. And the other bit is just, I mean, it's not as much anymore, thankfully, but, I mean, so much labor goes into it for us in terms of building the booth and making it look the way it does. We put so many... We have to kind of lego or erector said a lot of it um just putting pieces together to build counters and walls mm-hmm. and assembling things and organizing all the merchandise um yeah i think we we work a good 12 hours at least the day before and mm-hmm. traveling and and then also the the night of the last uh day you know mm-hmm. you're, you're there till it's done which could be hours oh yeah you know, you know it used to be like you'd be able to kind of go back the next day and take everything down uh-huh. and pack it up. And now you got to, you, you got to get everything done. As as the show yeah, six, so it was like 6 PM. It's so packs is over. And then like, mm-hmm. like a little beehive, we all are buzzing around to try to get everything packed up as much as we can. While also trying to eat something for dinner. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the worst is I think PAX East. Well, this was for me. You were there too. I think East is always the, no, you weren't the there. one I don't like the most. East East last year where, I won't say what the product was, but we had like a prototype of something that we brought, we were going to put on display and we packed it super well. We actually brought it on the plane, but like TSA inspected it and, and it got a little damaged and I was setting up our booth and we pretty much, I don't know, that day we worked 7am until maybe 2am because we had to go like find some replacement parts and paint and things like that just to fix them and everything and it's an adventure. It's always a story. So in the moment, it's very tiring. But afterwards, you just kind of laugh about it. <laughs> I, I love PAX. PAX is like vacation for me. I love it. Like you do. It's like four hours standing there selling people stuff. I ain't gonna laugh. PAX West. PAX East feels like a lot more labor just because of the weather. I'd say that's the only reason why. It's still fun. 
Yeah. Still, yeah, I love Boston. I still, yeah. But West... They're mini vacations. West, the weather is so much nicer. Yeah. Now. It's a lot nicer now because, I mean, like our original booth. Mm-hmm. Like, you guys weren't there for mm-hmm. those original ones. Yeah. That, where Brian Jaworski basically built, like, big reusable, basically ikea furniture quality an entire booth that he just constructed it was super heavy yeah it was like uh, a masonite or something i think something like yeah. that yeah it was it took forever to put up it was nice and sturdy while we used it but like transferring it all over the place like i think we kept oh actually there's a piece of it right over there in the corner of the room that we're recording in yeah there's a piece of that original booth now we don't construct things from scratch. Now we uh, we do hire professionals to kind of like get the bones yes. into the right place, which and is we huge, adjust. Huge morale boost and just help oh, on yeah. our on our bodies. Every pax has gotten easier and easier, and I came in even when it was easy already. Now it's like almost the entire thing is the booth itself is like pre-built. Mm-hmm. Like we which don't we just start. We don't even do counters anymore. East was our first time of not constructing counters, and uh, we still got to get all stuff in there, so it still takes time. But yeah, you got to organize so, and all that. But, where did yeah. he where did he construct that? Did you guys did he do it in Jersey and then you know, yeah. drove it up? Oh, yep, wow. he, he constructed it in New Jersey at his uh, at the the theater he was working at. That's right. And wow. uh, and then we just kind of got a truck and drove it up. That might have actually been the old banshee that drove it up. No way. I think so. <laughs> it drove from here to New Jersey I, and then mm-hmm. that's insane. Yep. In the winter. <laughs> and then we drove it back here. That's crazy. <laughs> That's this is this is the old crappy truck. The the band that I can't believe would have made that journey. <laughs> but uh, but yeah. So I just say always be kind to anyone working at a PAX because they've probably been been working some long hours. And also just be nice to everyone who works for the convention because all the volunteers, the enforcers, they're all just so nice and so helpful. Mm-hmm. And they don't get paid. They're just there. Yeah. Yeah. But really, like. I've seen some other conventions where where people are not nearly as friendly or helpful. So it's always just a real luxury to have that. So our next question comes from Jack F. Uh, at Flowerfella on Twitter. He asks, when the company first started in 2008, did you envision it going as far as it is today with things such as an office in Japan, multiple different licenses for products, and other things of that nature? Also, you guys are cool as ice. Ooh. I'll try this one's for you to yeah, answer. Yeah, I can't really answer this question. So, yeah, uh, so thank you, Jack, for the question. So, yeah, neither of you guys were here at the beginning, you, but you've both been here for some pretty huge eras of growth. So let, let's mm-hmm. kind of take it from, like, where you guys began. Like, did you mm-hmm. see us being where we are now whenever you first came on? Since I came on first, I guess I'll talk first. Seniority. I came on when we were still at the Midway, which was a pretty big – we had several units. It was pretty big, and then we required more units and got bigger. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and we were just kind of spread out yeah. all across that 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 lot at that some at some point. Yeah. I, no, I don't think I would have. Like I figured we would do bigger and bigger stuff. I definitely would not have thought we would have gotten a lot of the licenses we've gotten over the past year or two. Like that's crazy. Uh, like a lot of the Sony stuff. I don't know. I never think that far out. So I guess I'm never surprised. By, you know, <laughs> You're not uh, surprised because you didn't. didn't you know, yeah. Yeah. Like, oh, that sounds about <laughs> go right. with the flow. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that sounds like something, something we do. Yeah, it makes sense. <laughs> What about you, Noah? Because you're you're an agent for a lot of our growth, so maybe you saw it all coming. I'd say that's kind of why I was hired was to help with that growth and get us where we are now. And I'll never be satisfied. I'll always want more. Um, but <laughs> a true uh, American. Yeah, yeah. I'm. I am very happy with everything we've been able to accomplish over the past few years. Because even when I signed on, that was three years ago. About um, it took a little bit of time and. Am I surprised to see us where we are now or some of the relationships we have 
Uh, I'd say yes, yes and no. I mean, I think there are a couple things where I didn't even think we would have the opportunity to do. Uh, and then there are other things where that was kind of like exactly what we wanted. Like there, there are two licenses and I won't even say which they are, but when I first started here, those were the two where I think there was like a company poll, which would mm-hmm. you want the most? And you know, not Nintendo related or anything like that, but, but we now have them. And that's just really, really cool. And it makes me proud. So I can say that uh, having been here from the beginning, I had absolutely no idea what to expect when we started. I mean, like I was involved uh, involved as far back as whenever Fangamer was still planning to just primarily develop fan communities. Mm-hmm. So we're like, there was Starman.net as the flagship. And then we pretty much just sold merch just as a way to pay the bills as we built those communities. So yeah. So social media pretty much killed the fan sites. Like they don't <laughs> mm-hmm. really exist. But like it's not in any like really strong way anymore. Like Starman.net is still going, but like a lot of people like who started there, they continued their relationships in other sites, like you know Facebook or whatever. They made their friends uh, more in person. Do you think like the the like wiki wikia sites kind of mm. bit into that a little bit too? Yeah, like they they because you can go in there and can just compile all your information in like a much easier to search format like you don't need to go to the to the fan sites to find yeah. them something yeah. like they've already come together and gathered all their information in a convenient place yeah which is great for me i use wiki and wikia stuff all the time at work so yeah thank you for doing that whoever you are that does that so yeah not now merch is pretty much our entire business so uh yeah no i don't think we envisioned the company becoming what it is today at all back when we started I mean, never mind getting, like, licensed to produce merchandise for big companies like Capcom or Bandai Namco. Like, we didn't even really expect to be doing merchandise at all mm-hmm. for very long. So it's, you know, it's really funny how things work out sometimes. Was the merch sales stuff to, like, cover server costs and stuff like that? Pretty much. Or just so that, like, Reed could eat. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> Did it just kind of... Putting kibble in Ruby's bowl? Did it just kind of do better than any of you expected with a kind of C that has a way you can continue to make money. Yeah, I think that was part of it. It's just we were surprised at how well things did. Mm-hmm. Yeah, our, 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 our earliest merchandise yes. sold surprisingly well. I mean, it helped that we had like an established community. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that was that also kind of went into, as far as like building other fan communities, we figured, okay, well, if we built other fan communities, we can expand our lineup. And at some point, I think we went into a thing where we were like, oh, well, there are existing fan communities for some of these games. So we can like team up with them mm-hmm. and try to market towards them. But that didn't end up working out too well. Was the first licensed fan gamer really got to make merchandise? Was it Shovel Knight or was it Double Fine stuff? Oh, or was it even before it was. that? It depends on what you mean by license. Like you know, for video games specifically, mm-hmm. I want to say. Like official, official. Maybe Retro City Rampage. Oh, okay. Yeah, that was, that was that's one of the earliest ones I can think of. But anyway, so we have uh, we still have some other questions. However, mm-hmm. I'm going to bank them for now because we're running out of time, and also I haven't gotten any more questions, so <laughs> I need to hold on to them so I have things for future episodes. But one last question before we close out the show: Who are your Smash mains? Oof. Uh, this, is a, this is a question from Kirkland. I would probably go most recent, Pikachu. <laughs> Pikachu? All right. Yeah. I'm bad at Smash. I avoid playing it. Mario Kart's my jam. Eight, so good. Okay, uh, who's, your, who's your Mario Kart main? Oh, Waluigi with the Bowser's ship cart, the tiny wheels. 
the tiny like red wheels and then whatever parachute thing has the most i'm all about accelerate like max speed and acceleration okay but let me tell you about something about tony playing mario kart okay if he loses with the joy con he will not stop saying it's because he's used to a pro controller. I am. I'm a pro Mario Kart 8 <laughs> player. So no, I if you were a pro, pro, you control. could use a Joy-Con. I can still beat you with a Joy-Con. It just hurts. I don't think you can. <laughs> I think I have, probably. Maybe a couple times. Yeah. Yeah. All right. You with but uh, King, King K. Rule, because he's like easier to use, it seems. So King K. Rule. All right. So if you have any questions you'd like to ask us, please send them to us. You can email your questions to your friends at fangamer.com or... You can tweet them to at FangamerFriends. You can also send us audio questions. They're great, since they're much more audibly interesting than me just reading your questions. Uh, to send us an audio question, you can either go to anchor.fm slash fangamer and click the send a voice message button, or you can just record your question and email it to your friends at fangamer.com. Uh, whether via text or audio, you can ask us pretty much anything, and we'll do our best to answer it sincerely, or possibly just goof on your question, whichever feels right at the time. Anyway, that pretty much does it for this week. Any final thoughts, Tony and Noah? It was fun. Thank you, Charlie. Yeah, thanks for having us on. Thank you. Uh, so thank you very much, Noah and Tony, for joining me this week. If you would like to support this podcast, please consider buying something from the Fangamer store. Alternately, just share us with your friends, tweet about us, or even tweet at us. Thank you, Super Soul Brothers, for the music on this episode, and thank you, listener, for listening. We're your friends at Fangamer, and let's plan on hanging out again next week.